Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you doing today, wherever you are? We doing all right? Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and uh, it's a pleasure to be in front of you today to kick off week two of our series, Big Fat Mouth. Uh, wherever you are, we want to welcome you this morning, whether you're at a multi-site, whether you're at a micro-site, uh, we just say welcome, and especially if you are new. And we're in a series, like I said, called My Big Fat Mouth. Uh, talking about how our mouth is a tool for good, but it also can get us in trouble from time to time. Uh, last week, our campus pastors kicked us off uh, and did an incredible job. And it just reminded me this week, uh, as I step up here, that it's a team sport at Emmanuel. So we're grateful uh, for Aaron and Brent and Cody that kicked us off last week. We're also grateful for all of our campus leaders, uh, Rachel and the team at Garfield Park, Ronika and our online campus, and of course, our boys from last week. Can we just all thank those uh, that are leading our campuses at Emmanuel, you guys are doing incredible work. It's a big job with this growing church, and we're grateful for you. Uh, but this week, like I said, week two, but let's start with where we started last week. Let's look at the big idea for this series, that our words create the quality of our life, but also the lives of those around us. And we looked at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, an encouragement, but also a warning. It's that the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk Reap the consequences, says the guy who loves to talk. Take that how you will. You see, last week we talked about complaining, right? That almost 100 different times on almost every day of the week, people are going to disappoint us. They're going to do things that we don't like. We're going to have something go a way that we just preferred would go another way. And we end up, what we end up doing is we end up spewing negativity everywhere. We lose influence with the people in our lives, the people that God puts in the circle around us. And well, when it comes time to invite that person to church, hmm, that answer sometimes is going to be no, just because of our constant complaining and people don't want to be around us. But you see, this week we'll talk about how we go sometimes one step further. Now, I would have loved to be on the stage last week as well, because I, I'm sure there's lots of things I could complain about. But in particular, I thought about something that happened a couple of weeks ago. My wife is a teacher, so she's home during the summer with my little guy, Graham. And I came home one day from work and I noticed that the grass had been cut. Now, uh, the grass cutting thing for me is something, sure, I, I'm able to get away, put some distance between me and the world, just me and a motor, right? Um, but my ginger skin is one of those things in the summertime, like I appreciate any time any other human wants to cut the grass. I'll probably get a sunburn standing on this stage this weekend. <laughs> so I roll into the driveway and I look to my, look to my left and the, just perfectly cut. It had been about 12 inches. Uh, my neighbor has like one of those deep cut roughs from the Brickyard Crossing golf course, like he's retired and does an incredible job. Uh, so I look to my left, see the awesomeness. I look to my right and I see just, the... there's a mohawk in the right side of my yard, 12 inches high, uh, everything else nicely cut. And so I noticed it when I went in. Now, now you can all be proud of me that I did not say anything to my wife about that mohawk for approximately two hours. See, I had seen the 98% of awesome. I had seen the 2% of, oh, dang. She was walking out to the mailbox to grab the mail. I asked her what she was doing. She told me, I said, you sure you're not out there um, gonna grab that spot that you missed? <laughs> As you can imagine, um, that did not go well. And uh, like my wife often does, she let me know right away uh, that that was not a good choice. But I was critical in that moment. I couldn't help. I had to be that guy that saw that tiny little thing that was wrong in the midst of all that was good. 
And so instead of sort of being nice and grateful for my wife, I, well, I pointed out that critical thing that I noticed. So this week, we want to talk about building on what happens when we go beyond complaining and we take that extra step. It's called criticism. In your notes this week, criticism. Now, this type of criticism that we're talking about is when we go to attack the character, the motive, or some attribute of the person instead of whatever the behavior is, the mistake, or the position that they happen to hold. Okay? We actually take a step by attacking and cutting at the person. So sometimes it's complaining, but more often than not, we, well, we go to make it personal. That complaint then becomes critical. And if you've ever seen language like this, then maybe criticism is sort of in your life. You might have been using the language before with a roommate. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. You'd say something like, you always interrupt me. You never take the time to listen. You will never get that right. You're always leaving the hairdryer out when the drawer is right there. But even sometimes it becomes a comparison game. What we do is we take this like imaginary version of a perfect person and then we compare the people in our life to that other person. We say things like, well, most people wouldn't do that. Most roommates would pick that towel up. Sometimes it's a little more hurtful. Most husbands wouldn't treat their wives that way. Most friends would be there when their friend needed them in a time of need. And I don't know if this is familiar for you or you've been talked to like this before or you've used your words in this way before, but it's dangerous. This week I did some more reading on the research related to criticism and it might surprise you, it might not, but this idea of criticism, that type of language in relationships, in particular in marriages, is a 90% predictor of divorce. That's right. Evidence-based research says that when marriages are in trouble and they evaluate what's going on in the marriage, if criticism is a dominant theme of the language that is used, it's a 90% predictor of the end of the marriage. In fact, they call it the first horseman of the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse. This is dangerous stuff, not just for marriages, but in the tight circle that God has designed around us. So we have to ask ourselves if it's, if it's tough, what? Why is it so hard to not do it? In your notes, we just ask a, a bold question. Why is it so hard to conquer this critical spirit? Now, our campus pastors last week sort of set us up on this. They gave us an answer that's valuable. Uh, Mark Twain says it in particular a really great way. Here's what Mark says. He says, nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. We all know those people in our lives, right? They got that thing that just needs to be changed. And well, I'm the person to help you change it. People disappoint us, they hurt us, they do things, they have opinions that we don't like. So sure, we'd love to change all those habits and those opinions. And right now you might be thinking of the person in your life that's the most critical. Maybe it's the person that's always pointed out for you that one thing that's wrong, or the issue that you just need to fix, or the character flaw that's inside of you that will never go away. Now deep down, if you're thinking of that critical person, you might just think that, well, yeah, it's because they're just super broken inside. But what if I told you that this idea of criticism is natural? It's actually built into us in our human nature. You see that same group, the Gottman Institute, in their research on criticism, here's what they found. They found that criticism is a natural human behavior where we seek an explanation for our negative feelings and over time, we develop negative habits of mind 
to search for why we feel so bad, here's what we do. We scan our environment for other people's transgressions and mistakes to account for our annoyances and disappointments. You see, what we have this thing inside of us is this natural human behavior that science can evaluate and measure that says that when we're tempted with some sort of disappointment or frustration or feeling that we have, not only do we look for the reason to complain about it, we actually look for the who behind the reason. And our words become critical, cutting, and they tear down. Now, you might just think that this is something that's just research, that 2,000 years after the words of the New Testament were written, we're just now understanding that we have this thing built inside of us. Well, the Apostle Paul knew this to be true. The early believers in the first churches knew this to be true. It's called our sinful nature. Here's what Paul says about the sinful nature. Paul says, the sinful nature wants us to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that we don't get to be free to carry out our good intentions. So what Paul knows is that there's this natural human behavior that 2,000 years later relationship science would prove out. There's this natural human behavior caused by our sinful nature, our willingness to take the easy road to cut down, to criticize, and to tear down. But there's also the Holy Spirit, which fights against that desire and pushes us, encourages us to do good. It's built inside of us. So we have to understand, okay, if it's built inside of us and we often take the easy route, well, how bad is it really? In your notes, I believe that criticizing words, they bring death to those around us. You see, the power of our tongue, the power of our words, we can either create life or we can bring death. I want to share some statistics with you that might shock you but are worthy for our conversation. Did you know that every day 123 Americans commit suicide? That's one person every 12 minutes in America that ends their life. Every year, every day of school, 160,000 students or more stay home out of fear of bullying whether it's hurtful words or physical harm. Now, those might sound like extreme examples for you, but I also found this week in research that there's this thing that we have as humans called negative mental chatter. You see, there was a study done where Dr. Raj Ragunathan, he's a uh, consumer scientist, he wanted to know what most people are thinking most of the time. And so he had a study of thousands of people and he gave them a journal and asked them to write down just the basic thoughts they had at any given point during the day. And when that study was gathered and all the data came in, we found that 60 to 70% of every thought that we have is negative by nature. 60 to 70% is what's called negative mental chatter. If that's what we start with, and we know that the extreme examples of our hurtful words and our criticizing words, maybe not directly from us, but in our culture as a whole, can make people question their very lives or to be in fear of going to school. Why would we want to add to it as Christians? You see, the Apostle Paul knew this too. This is an issue for us as Christians. He knows that we're going to have struggles from the beginning of time till the end of the time trying to get this right. And in his letters in the New Testament, 
one of the context points that you can have for your Bible reading is that those letters, so when we call Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians, those are letters back to churches that are trying to get started, that are trying to bring people to Christ, just like we are at Emmanuel today. And some of those instructions were very specific because they were related to what he was hearing back from these churches. And so he's hearing some reports from one of them, and I want to show you what he tells them. He says, hey, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know that as the golden rule. Jesus said there are basically two commands, and they're one and the same. It's that love God and love your neighbor. If you're doing those things, you're doing it right. The whole law can be summed up there. Paul goes one step further and says, hey, guys, let's just focus on the one thing, and we'll do our best here. But he says, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You see, what Paul was hearing back from this particular church at this particular time, at the church of Galatia, he was hearing their critiques. He was hearing their criticism of the ideas that were floating about, but of each other. And he says, be careful, because those tiny little bites, that tiny little criticism that we think doesn't matter, well, it can destroy us. I'll talk about later how important the unity of those of us who follow Christ is to us making an impact in our communities. And Paul knew this to be true too. Now we could spend more time talking about the dangerous parts of criticism, but I think you get it by now. So let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the kinds of words that breathe or bring life. In your notes, encouraging words breathe life into those around us. Encouraging words breathe life into those around us. The Apostle Paul, again, we lean into him a little bit. We hear what sorts of words are we talking about? Okay, Paul, if we're not doing this right, what should we be doing? Here's what he says. He says, don't use harmful words, but only helpful words. The kind that build up and provide what is needed. And I want to hang here for a second because this language is intentional. You see, what Paul says is, is that our words, literally the sounds that we make with our tongue and our mouth, they have the power to help. They can build up, the language being brick by brick, literally building something like a building and providing exactly what is needed when it is needed. He goes on to say, so that what you say will do good to those who hear you. That our words have the capability to do good in this world. And this is a sort of an, an uh, introductory um, encouragement or teaching from Paul. And there's another one that in 1 Thessalonians, the letter to the church at Thessalonica, where he goes back to something they're doing very well. He had spent all this time in this letter giving them instructions, telling them not to do these things, do these things, and things will go well. But then here's what he says to this particular group of believers. He says, encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. You see, the report from the church at Thessalonica was one where they were encouraging each other. Instead of criticizing or tearing down one another or causing divisions among themselves, he saw them doing good. So he takes an opportunity right at the end of his letter to say, listen, I'm hearing this is going well. Please continue to do this. And you know, as we were preparing as a team this week, I watched a talk from Craig Rochelle. You see, he's a pastor that leads a church called Life Church in Oklahoma. It's actually the largest church in America. He had some incredible words to say in his talk, but there was this, this piece of two sentences, these two ideas that sort of made me think two completely different things. And I want to share his words with you and then tell you how they hit me. 
Craig says that you have no idea how a single word of criticism can pierce someone's soul and stick with them for years and years. And when I heard those words, I, I had this thought that came to my mind. You see, my wife and I have been married for about 12 and a half years. And so 13 years ago, we went through some premarital counseling with a pastor that we trusted. And, and well, we had all kinds of encouragement from everybody around us. Getting married is an awesome time. Now, one of those guys that was sort of in our circle, he's had some relationship issues in the past and well, he thought he knew everything. And he looked at my wife's background and my background. He saw that I was a thrice divorced child. I've been through three divorces as uh, part of my family at that point. Um, I had, uh, my wife had come from a family that had a divorce and sort of in the recent past. And so he looked at those sort of statistical markers and he had the, the gall to look at us in the face and say, you guys just need to know that like statistically, you're just not going to make it. To look at two people about to get married and say, hey, um, everything in front of you says that you're just not going to make it. And here we are 12 and a half years later, day by day, hour by hour, and minute by minute, proving that man wrong. Words of criticism and critique and negativity can stick with people for far longer than we know. And I'm blessed that that negativity didn't get me to think negatively about the marriage I was about to have. But then Craig says this about the other side. He says, on the other side, you have no idea how God can use a single word of encouragement to build someone up. And to give them the faith to go on. And then he says these four words. Your words have power. And when I heard that, I, I was reminded of my early professional life. You see, when I graduated college, I had a pretty decent um, resume, I guess you could say. I got some decent grades, had some good internships. And I got out of college and I wanted to change the world. I had a grandfather that passed away from lung cancer when I was a freshman in college. And so I thought long and hard about who I wanted to go work for. And so I applied at places like the Lung Association. I applied at the Heart Association. I applied at the Cancer Society. All great causes that I wanted to work for. None of them called back. Not one. In fact, those three months were the longest period of unemployment I've had since I was 15 years old flipping pizzas at Chicago's Pizza in Bargersville. It's good pizza, trust me. But that period of time was difficult, but, but I got a cold call in the month of July that year. No, January, just kidding. January. I got a cold call from the Indiana State House. Someone had received uh, my resume and I had a great internship with a group that did some work at the State House. So I show up for an interview and it goes well and they say, hey, listen, we'd love to bring you on board. Uh, we've got a full-time job and a part-time job. I was engaged, easy decision. I took a full-time job. My first day of work, I show up and I report and I have three state representatives that it's my job to help serve. One of them was named Representative Peggy Welch out of the Bloomington area. Now, Peggy, I got to know her pretty quickly, was a woman of faith. Not the kind that sort of does it behind the microphone and it's fake and phony, but no, no, no. Someone whose life and decisions were actually influenced by her faith in Christ. And that was awesome. But even more importantly was the way in which she found ways to encourage and build people up. In fact, every single year at the end of the legislative session, I would help her put together hundreds and hundreds of thank you notes to people that she would interact with in the three to four months of the legislative session. 
It was a huge undertaking and I screwed a lot of those up. So I had to ask for a lot of forgiveness along the way and other important meetings and government documents because I was a young professional. I knew everything. But when I would mess up, her response told me a lot about what encouragement looks like. You see, she had this way of sort of responding to whether it was a tiny mess up for me or some colleague that would lie to her and do something completely different behind her back. She'd get cussed out by some constituent or person that had a problem with an issue that she couldn't quite fix. And she'd come back and she'd sit back and say, you know, at least nobody died. We'll figure out a way to make this work. To that colleague that would cut her out of something and go do something behind her back, she'd say, well, nobody died. I'll figure out a way to go around that. And it amazed me, but I realized that it was a matter of perspective for her. You see, Peggy's full-time job, you see, her uh, job as a state representative, we don't actually pay them enough to just do that job in Indiana. They have to go home and actually make a career doing something else too. Her real job was an oncology nurse at Bloomington Hospital. So literally every day when she worked at home, she was with people that were either facing and trying to overcome death or who were on their way to dying. So she had this ability to understand that the words that she chose to use could be used to build up, to encourage, to lift up, or to critique, or to cut down, or to bring death. She understood the balance there and helped me as a professional understand the balance there about how we have choices to make. And when we lean into the Holy Spirit, we can do it well. Which leads us to the how. Great, Matt. Okay, bad words are bad. Good words are good. Great talk. Let's do it. No, we have to do something. And that's called put on a new mouth. In your notes, we need to put on a new mouth. I know many of you are confused right now, and that's okay. It's intentional. We have to put on a new mouth. Paul, who talked about the sinful nature, who showed us sort of the, the battle between the good, uh, the good spirit nature and the evil nature, the sinful nature, he tells us what we should be doing with that sinful nature. Here's what he says. He says, put that thing to death. Put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. Put on instead your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You see what Paul knew as someone who was doing his best to follow Christ, but also to get to know him and his ways at the same time. He knew that for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, that it wouldn't get better overnight. That we could have the dirtiest, most critical mouth and day one, trust Christ and it doesn't automatically get better. So what he tells us to do is that we have to put that old self to death and then get to know Jesus, get to know his ways so that as we learn more about him, we can become more like him. Now that's verses five and 10 in the book of Colossians from chapter three. And I was just struck by his language in this, this portion. And I hope that you'll go home and read chapter three this week. In verse 14, he sort of caps up this whole idea. Okay, fine. If we're putting something on, what does it look like? In Colossians 3.14, he says that above all, we should be clothing ourselves with, say it with me, love. And here at Emmanuel, you hear us talk about all the time. The idea of love is simply what's doing, simply what's Doing what's best for another. I'll get that right. Let's say it again together. It's simply doing what's best for one another. That's what binds us together in perfect harmony. Now, Paul doesn't use this language to be flowery or to get us to think about utopia. What he does is he helps us understand that harmony, the idea that Christians, those of us of faith, 
should be unified together. When enough of us are getting the right thing right most of the time, our communities are different. So he says, if you want to get there, you have to put on, you have to clothe yourselves, is the language that he uses, with something different. In, verses, in the verses that come right before that, he's more prescriptive. He tells us the exact how-to. Since God chose us to be his holy people that he loves, we must clothe ourselves. We should put on tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We make allowance for the Mohawks in our front yards. We forgive anybody when they happen to offend us. Because remember, the Lord forgave you. So we must be forgiving of others. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how much sin that Jesus has forgiven you of, but I couldn't load enough dump trucks in the parking lot of every Emmanuel campus that would be full of the sins that Jesus has, that has forgiven for me. So I remember that and then I have a posture of forgiveness. I have a posture of grace. I have a posture of encouragement when I'm tempted to be critical or to drive a division or to think that I'm better than someone else. Then he caps it with verse 14. That's how, above all, that we clothe ourselves with love, which binds us all together in that perfect harmony. Now, for some of you, I've said, put on a new mouth, and we've talked a little bit in Scripture, and you're still sort of wondering what in the world I'm talking about. So I have an object lesson for you visual learners. I'd like you guys to meet Pete. My friend Pete the potato has a problem. You see, he has a frowny face, which visualizes his critical mouth. He's the first person among a crowd to point out the little bits that are wrong in other people. What the Apostle Paul says is that once Pete leans into the Holy Spirit, he has a capability that he didn't have before. He can take off that frowny face, the critical, the cutting, and he can put on a new mouth. He can put on the Holy Spirit's direction that allows us to speak encouragement, to build each other up to bring us closer together rather than farther apart. So for you, maybe you saw Toy Story 4 and you're encouraged right now. Or maybe for you, like me, this was a common toy that you played with growing up. But either way, we have to do what Pete is capable of doing, which is to put on a new mouth. For some of you, this is the only thing you're gonna remember for the entire rest of the talk. And that's okay. But for the rest of us, maybe poetry is your thing. Noted philosopher, songwriter, and poet Will I Am says this, hey, be different, be nice. And you know, these five words might be funny to us, and if you're on iTunes later and you check out the song, it's, this is about as good as it gets, but, but nice is different. Nice is powerful, it's, it's different because you can't go six seconds scrolling on social media to find criticism, to find people ascribing to whole groups of other types of people that don't look like them, that think like them, that have faith like them. We drive divisions and we, we cast dispersions on people. Sometimes it's individuals. Whether it's their political philosophy, whether it's a law they might have broken, for some of the worst of us, it's the color of their skin. We use our words to cut, to critique, to tear down, to drive division. And that's not at all what Jesus intended. Our words are powerful. We have the capability to build each other up, 
to bring together, to encourage, to lift up, brick by brick, to build up the people around us. And God will put people in your life that are part of that circle. Last week, our campus pastors talked about influence and how if we seem to get this wrong more often than not, we lose influence with people around us. And so this week, we have two hard questions for you in your notes. The first one is this. It's the who. Who will you choose to breathe life into this week? Because if this matters, if, if we spend enough time in Scripture seeing that our words matter, our conduct among both believers and unbelievers, if it really matters, the who is what matters most. You could take this talk and learn all you can about how bad words are bad and good words are good. But if the people around you never feel it, it's not going to be any different. There's no life change for the people around you. Practically, what will you do to build them up? What practical thing can you do to bring life to someone else? You see, this week, maybe it's about focusing on the 98% that my wife is incredible, that she's gracious, that she puts up with me, sometimes focusing on the 2% mohawk in the yard. But see, I, had a, I have a six-year-old here at Emmanuel. His name's Graham. I should pre-apologize for anything that he does wrong in your presence. But he's amazing. And he had his best week ever at Emmanuel's day camp for elementary kiddos. His first time. And every day this week he came home. It was something about Melissa. It was something about Andrew. It was something about Taylor. Yeah, sure, they were bouncy houses filled with water and there were jumpy things and a spider net that had something to do with something. But you see, those were his three student counselors this week. Three people that just decided that for a week of their entire summer, they were going to prepare hard. They were going to wake up early and they were going to love on some kiddos to encourage them, to build them up, to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. So for me this week, a very practical step is for me to find some way to thank them for doing what Jesus calls them to do. And for you, it might be that that friend that's struggling with anxiety or depression, it's that friend who has a hard time dealing with the 60 to 70% of the negative mental chatter that's going on in their mind. They haven't yet developed, or maybe in this period of time, they're struggling to find the ways to make those negative patterns positive. You see, they need you too. Maybe for you, it's an encouraging text. It's going beyond the, hey, call me when you need me type friendship and literally thinking about the practical thing that you can do to help. Maybe it's about the foster family that you know of, that you're sort of admiring, but yet you know they could use maybe a pack of diapers. Maybe it's a meal at their front doorstep. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's the person that God's put closest to us on this planet. It's our kiddo. It's our parent. It's our 90-year-old grandmother who just watched her first Emmanuel talk this morning. Maybe they need an encouragement. They need to be built up. And you know, this thing for believers, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, this is just more than an action step. This is more important than just, ah, let's see if we can get it right 51% of the time. Because we have people in our lives that don't follow this Jesus thing. They wouldn't call themselves believers yet. And here's what Paul says about how important this is for them. He says that we should be living wisely among those who are not believers. We have to make the most of every opportunity. Our conversation 
should be gracious and attractive so that we have the right response for everyone. You see, some of you think that, well, maybe God will put somebody in my life that really needs this. No, 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 they're already there. The circle of people that God has put around you, he's put them there on purpose because he knows that if you lean into the Holy Spirit, you can be the one to change their life, to give them a picture of what Jesus really looks like. So this week, we have work to do. In fact, at every Emmanuel campus on your way out, you're going to pick up an invite card that's to what we're calling a big day in August. We're going to have baptism in August, but we're going to do a weekend that's full of appreciation and love for all the teachers that are in our communities. And as we do that, that's going to take influence. As you invite the people that are in your lives, you cannot get out of the way from the way that we interact with them every day. So three, four weeks from now, they're going to have an opportunity to join you at a manual service. Maybe it's next week and you just don't wait. My hope is, is that we'll do this hard work so that when we ask for them to join us for a weekend, just to love on some teachers around us, that they'll say, sure, I can be part of that. And you have no idea how one encouraging word can change people's forevers. And maybe for you, your forever hasn't quite been changed yet. Maybe for you, this idea that the abundant life we talk about at Emmanuel all the time, this thing where you can have a life that's dominated by peace. You can have a life that's dominated by the type of joy, a soul that's at rest, a life where you can feel that you don't have to carry the burden, the weight, the guilt of the wrong, the hurt, maybe those hurtful words that you've spoken before. You see, Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to carry that burden. And if you're in a place today where you've considered stepping into a relationship with Christ, that's what it means. It's just stepping into a relationship. It starts with an easy conversation that you can have between you and Jesus. And every week at Emmanuel, we do our best to provide a time for you so that when you're ready, you can step into that. So no matter what campus or microsite or literally all over the world where you're watching, if you can hear my voice, I wanna encourage you that knock, that touch on your shoulder is God. And he wants you to step into a relationship with him. So as I pray some words, I hope that you'll use these words, that you'll make them your own because he's there for you. And maybe you've had Christians in your life that have cut you down. Maybe you've been criticized and cut down and critiqued. Maybe you feel messy, but Jesus would say you're worthy. Maybe you feel like it's all too complicated and you gotta get too many things together before you can come to him. He would say, no, 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 just come now. We'll sort it all out. Wherever you are, I hope that you'll use my words in this time of prayer. And for the rest of us, I hope that our hearts, that our minds are in a place that we can be lifting up those ready to make a decision. So if you're ready, let's bow our heads and I hope you'll say words like this. Say something like, Jesus, thank you for an opportunity to hear that, that you're there. Jesus, I, today I, I take the tiny bit of faith that I have. I put that faith in you. When you died, I know that you died for me. So that all that burden, the shame, the guilt, that I could give that away to you. Jesus, when you walked out of that grave, I can have hope in that. Knowing that if you can conquer the grave that your promise to me can stand, so can I. So I take my faith, I take this small part of me and I lean everything I am into it today. 
I trust you. And as I trust you, teach me, help me, guide me to take each step with you at my side. Thank you for loving me today. Jesus, I pray this in your name. And we all said, amen. Now listen, you're gonna hear some claps right now at every single Emmanuel campus and there's a reason for that and we should keep it going because if you made a decision for Christ today, you stepped into a party that's going on in heaven and on earth at this point. So let's all praise and thank those that have made decisions for Christ today. We praise God for each and every one of you. Now listen, before anybody gets up and leaves, I want you to know that if you place your faith in Christ or if you've been a follower for a while, that we never want you to take steps in Christ on your own. That's why small groups are a big deal around here. But if you placed your faith in Christ today, we wanna put a New Believer's New Testament in your hands. At the back of every Emmanuel Auditorium, you'll see folks that are ready from our impact team to say that they love you, that to congratulate you and to put one in your hands so that you can take the steps necessary to begin walking in this relationship with Christ. Now for the rest of us, actually all of us, man, it's been a joy to spend some time with you today. This is challenging hard stuff that no matter who joins you on any Emmanuel platform, these are things that we're working on in our own lives and none of us are ivory tower people getting it all right. And so for us, we have hard work to do this week. My encouragement is that you will take that challenge and go change some people's lives and yours along with it. With that, let's pray and we'll head home. Jesus, I thank you so much that we can gather together to be challenged by the words of Paul, to be challenged by the example of Jesus and to know that sometimes our words, well, they get away from us and our big fat mouths, we just, we cause trouble. So Jesus, I ask that collectively that we leave that for you, that you forgive us where we may have misstepped, but that you give us the help of the Holy Spirit. That as you put people into our lives this week, that we are encouragers, that we are people that build each other up, that we are people that seek the harmony, the unity among us. So that as we step into our communities, that there's no doubt that we're here to change the world for you. We love you and we're grateful for this opportunity and every opportunity that we have to walk with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we all said, amen. Have a great week. Let's bring those friends next weekend.